With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to the Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Mount Buckmore again. I think I think people like Mount Buckmore, although I know someone on a text um, said they liked like the Thursday pod that was kind of easy breezy. And they said they're kind of a little over Mount Buckmore, which I get. Mount Buckmore is homework. And I will say that we are sending out to the tech subscribers the positions to vote on a couple weeks ahead of when we talk about them on the pod. So on the pod here today, we are doing receivers, Mount Buckmore receivers. We've done quarterbacks, we've done running backs, but the receiver poll went out a while ago. The the poll that went out this week to tech subscribers is on cornerbacks and the cornerback one feels so much like homework that like nobody's doing it yet. And I, I don't know what to do. I'm very torn, Nathan, on some of these results and I got to double check how many I sent out for the receivers. I want to be comprehensive and I want to sort of include as many people who, as I think sort of deserve mention, but also if I give you 20 choices and in your ranking, like you have to rank all 20, even if you don't put any time into it, you have to decide who's 17th and who's 19th. Whereas if I give you nine, then you only have to rank nine. So Nathan, like I'm, I'm a little torn on how comprehensive to be with some of the the options I'm sending out. Well, it, it's hard to account for everyone's taste. It's hard to account, especially when you talk about something like this, where there's a little bit of an X factor and like sort of just like, this is my favorite dude comes into play a little bit. And somebody who I, I saw a text where somebody was really making a case for Craig Krenzel today, actually, for the quarterback one. And I was like, well, I get it. We talked about Craig Krenzel, but I also understand why he wouldn't be kind of a finalist in the same way. But I totally understand why this person was doing a full throated support of of Craig Krenzel. So I think it is important. At some point, you do have to narrow it down. This was tough because I had to do a lot of research just to find out who some of these dudes were, because I'm my knowledge of Ohio State football is very, very like ultra modern. It doesn't go deep into the past. So there's some guys I had to look up. um, But I also think that at some point. If you put too many in, then it sort of prevents us from getting the kind of consensus that we do actually want. Some of this is just the fact that I think we're that running back and quarterback are the only two that are the least amount of homework. Because as Nathan just said, he had to do a lot of research on some of these guys. But even if you remember these guys, 
they're not on your head the same way because of circumstance, you know, style of play, all of these things come into con- come into uh, consideration when you're doing this. While with running back, there were three clear ones, so we got to have a good discussion about who number four was. And with quarterback, it's still you know, everybody remembers the quarterback, no matter what era you're talking about. Yeah, right. Some of it is, yeah, how obvious guys are, but also, as you said, Stephen, it's like you know, quarterback. Everybody has a take on that. It's like you love the receivers. But it might be hard to have like a strong take on who the fourth best receiver in Ohio State history is, right? So there's a guy like, for instance, there's a guy, Doug Donnelly, when we were talking about some of these teams in the 70s, right? Like, for instance, we did on Buckeye Retalkables, we did that uh, Rose Bowl loss in 1979 in Earl's first season when uh, they went undefeated in the regular season and then and then went to the Rose Bowl. Like, Doug Donnelly was, like, the best receiver on that team. So, like, he was the best receiver on a team that was undefeated in the regular season. He was, like, I think the leading receiver in at least two different years. He's had two – he has more than 2,000 yards receiving in his career. He's not a household name exactly, but he, he's from, like, kind of an older era of Ohio State football. And when he – when he finished his career at Ohio State in 1980, when he left the field in 1980, he was the leading receiver in Ohio State history, like up until that point, right? So I put him on here. He's last, right? He finished last in the the, the fan voting, the texter voting of the 14 people I listed. Nathan, I would imagine he's one of the people that you had to look up to be like, let me get a handle on Doug Donnelly. But I didn't want to like leave out Doug Donnelly and have people be like, what are you doing? How did you leave out Doug Donnelly? But do I actually think that like people who are, who are tech subscribers are going to vote for Doug Donnelly over like Michael Thomas? (laughs) No, I don't actually think that Nathan. So that is like an example of some of these. I'm trying to be respectful to the history but I mean, when I put Doug Donnelly on there, like I knew he wasn't going to actually be on the Mount Buckmore of receivers. Well, at the end of the day, the process is as important or more important than the four names we end up with. And I think the reason you have to put Doug Donnelly on the list is because I had to look him up because pe- we need, people need to know who Doug Donnelly is and talk about him. Like I need to know who he is. Our, re- our listeners who may not know who he is need to know who he is and find out more things about him because this is a historical uh, unveiling and exercise as much as it is an argument over the final four. Gary Williams, another guy on here. He's the second leading receiver in Ohio state history playing in the early eighties. And he didn't get a lot of love, but it's like, how do I not duck? I gave 14 names and I actually screwed this up and I apologize for that. But of the 14 names I gave Doug Donnelly was 14th and Gary Williams was 13th. Gary Williams is second all time in most receiving yards at Ohio State. And he finished 13th on the list. So, like, I, it's just, it's hard. I did screw this up. This is my brain fart. Is I put Paul Warfield as a Hall of Fame receiver, but he was really more like, he was like a running back at Ohio State. I put him on the receiver list. And people were like, why are you putting Paul Warfield on the receiver list? He was a running back at Ohio State. And Paul Brown in the NFL kind of moved him to receiver. So that was my bad. He's on this list. He finished 11th. I mean, Paul Warfield is like a, Paul Werfel is like one of the great players in NFL history, but I kind of screwed that up. I'm, but if I put him on the running back list, he wasn't going to make it running back. So anyway, it's complicated. I think like, so I, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to tell the people right now 
who's not on it? Because I don't think you guys had these people on here. Of the 14 names I gave, Doug Donnelly was 14th in the texter voting. Gary Williams was 13th. Paris Campbell was 12th, which makes sense to me. I, I almost felt like I didn't have to put Paris Campbell on, but, you know, that dude had some pretty good, had a really good senior year and is a very kind of different kind of player. So I put him on. Warfield, I screwed up. K.J. Hill, who is like way up there in the record books for Ohio State, I put him on, and he finished – 10th Steven but I don't know that KJ Hill whatever he did statistically I don't know that he should really be much higher than 10th right like that he that is, sort of makes sense to me he is <laughs> he is the the JT Barrett of the wide receiver room where reliable got the job done but the fact that he's Ohio State's all-time leader in receptions is in this case more of a you were around for a while and had the job for a while than it was because you were impressive. Steady, steady, right? Yeah. So so Paris has the most catches in a single season at Ohio State. K.J. Hill has the most catches in a career at Ohio State. But yet, Nathan, I didn't really consider either of them for my Mount Buckmore. No, because I think, and we had this discussion last week with the running backs, it, it, it's, I, I, I found myself comparing K.J. Hill and J.K. Dobbins a little bit. Now, J.K. Dobbins belonged higher up on the running back list than K.J. Hill does as a receiver, but they don't have that, like, that flash moment, that, like, that moment that, like, stands out to you, that, mm-hmm. that like I said before, that X factor. It, it's, it's there a little bit more for J.K. in some ways, but for K.J., it was something that shouldn't be dismissed, like showing up every game after game after game after game and, and just catching every ball that was thrown at him. That has great value. I just think it's enough to get it on the top four. And it's not an insult to say that you're not no. one of the four four most impactful, memorable, best receivers in Ohio State history. Although, you know, again, it's one of those things. He was K.J. Hill. He was also K to the MF and J. Hill. And he high-stepped into the end zone to beat Penn State one year. And if you didn't think K.J. Hill's got a little something to him, K.J. Hill has a little something to him. He's just kind of like a possession receiver in the slot. There are, however, nine guys that I really did think are in the mix. I thought it went nine deep in the mix for this. And these are the nine. And these were the ones, these were, these were the top nine in the texture vote. Terry Glenn, David Boston, Ted Ginn Jr., Santonio Holmes, Michael Jenkins, Joey Galloway, Devin Smith, Chris Carter, and Michael Thomas. I think you can make a case for any of those nine. And I will tell you that, again, in our rank voting, if, if everybody who ranks you puts you first, then your, your rating is 1.00. If half the people ranking you put you first and half the people ranking you put you second, your ranking number is 1.50. So I will tell you that of all these receivers, and there were 14 options, the number one person's ranking is 2.8, which is not that high for the number one person. And then four through nine is 4.1 to 8.4. And four through eight is 4.1 to 6.6. So four through eight especially is very close. Steven, that list that I gave, is there anybody that you would disagree with to say, ah, no, I don't really think they would really be in the running? Or do you think saying this is nine deep is right? Yeah, 
but for some reason, I even when I was doing the exercise, I didn't feel good about any of those guys. And I don't feel like any of I feel like there's nine got eight or nine guys who have a case for right now being on the Mount Rushmore, but I don't really think any of them how are like pinned in the way we had with the quarterback and running back. There were one or two guys. Like I don't think I think all these spots are up for grabs in the near in the next decade or so. I think I think there is one sure thing. I think there's one gotta be. And then for me, the next two for me, I didn't have to think much about. And then the fourth spot, like I'm not even sure right now (laughs) who my fourth spot is, but also I bet that my two that were my second and third are not the consensus second and third. So I think that after the first guy, there is kind of a lot of ways you could go. Nathan was who was locked in for you or, or how many did you have locked in or was nobody locked in? I had one guy that I dragged from the top of the list straight to the top and didn't even take any notes on him that I thought had to be on here. And then everybody else, I started like making some bullet points about what they did in their careers, big moments that they had. I agree with you. There were like six and a half, seven guys that I looked at. If I could, if I can say a half a guy, because it's, it's, interesting how you look at his career so i'll say seven that i really strongly considered but i also think again going back to the running back pod this i felt even more strongly that i got to the end and i'm like whoever we put at number four is just keeping that spot on the mountain warm somebody else is going to take that pretty soon it may be you could almost argue like if chris olave had been one of the people we were voting on where would he have finished in people's minds right i, I felt like i had to pick a fourth guy but i wanted to break the rule so bad but we'll get to that when we get to that part of the pod. Yeah, yeah. and we that is always the the ending of this because we want to bring mount buckmore into the modern day to say well who's going to get up there next who has a shot to knock somebody off the mountain and i it was not an oversight like i did not want to give you anybody on the list who is un, incomplete right to say well i, I don't want a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson so far, because they're not a so far. They're going to be done in a year and then we will reevaluate. So we only reevaluate just like right now. Right. I mean, I don't want to, you know, you don't chisel somebody off Mount Rushmore after two years of a presidency. Right. You got to you got to let the guy be done and then reevaluate it for a little bit. So that's why I didn't give Olave and Wilson as options. Let's get into it. Nathan, you said you had a person that you just marked down and you didn't even really have to think about who was that person. That person was Ted Ginn Jr. Why? Hmm. I don't know of anyone who's talked about in quite the same way as him. Certainly nobody else on this list that in my time associated with covering this team just these last few years that still gets talked about quite the same way, at least as far as receivers, that there was just something electric about any time he might get the ball in his hands. And I think, There are ways where I know that he doesn't stack up statistically, but I think you have to look beyond that to things that we've talked about before as far as presence, about as far as trying to imagine an era of Ohio State football. If you remove him from it, is he so distinct, so um, elemental to what Ohio State football was for that time? And I think I think more than anybody else on this list, he he satisfies those requirements. I feel like he is just an enduring like what he did like visions of what he did endures in a way that it I don't know that it does for anybody else on this list so he was the one that I immediately thought has to go on this mountain is Ted Ginn Jr. on your mountain Stephen 
He is, but for none of the reasons Nathan did. He's on the list because he's, uh, he's he's just one of the best four. But I don't know if he's so, you know, much of a staple as a receiver. I don't think he's that ingrained into the program. I think everything that made him special, when you first think of Ted Ginn Jr., you think of the punt returns and the kick returns. That's the first thing that comes up before you even start talking about wide receiver. And some of that is not his fault. Some of that is the offense they played and how they used him. I mean, Doug, you've brought it up plenty of times how Tim May wrote a story saying how come they always throw the ball to Ted Ginn Jr. when he's standing still and not in motion. So some of that is not his fault, but it just feels like, Ted Ginn Jr., the return specialist, is more memorable than Ted Ginn Jr., the wide receiver. Well, we ain't doing a Mount I, Buckmore of returners. Yes. So he's got to go somewhere. I know. And, I just think if, if, like, I don't I, I think that it, you're I think you're arguing again, kind of what I was arguing. It's that it, he, he was so great in those facets. You have to put him somewhere. And if you were doing just a Mount Buckmore of Ohio State and you only could put four people on it, I don't know if he'd make it. But he'd be a strong, strong contender, wouldn't he? Like more than anybody else on this list. So I, I mean, the one, I, the one I think I think is fair is, I mean, to both your points, it's we're saying you can take everything into account, right? But we're doing the receiver Mount Buckmore, but we're not only I don't only have to take his receiving stats into account. And there is the feeling that Ted Ginn Jr. gave you, and we're not doing specialist Mount Buckmore, we're, and we're not doing. You know, Liam McCullough and Cam Johnston and Ted Ginn Jr. and Mike Nugent, although actually we probably should. <laughs> well, would that just be the four? Like, I think you just did it. I think it was the fastest. Yeah, we're done. the fastest Congratulations. Buckeye yep. talk history. <laughs> actually, I'd have to do Tom Skladani was like the first. Tom Skladani's in the book. He was the first punter in Ohio State history to get a scholarship and was like the best punter in the country for three years and like was one of Woody's favorite players. Uh, we'll see how desperate we get. We get with Mount Buckmore. We might do that Tulsa week. We'll do the specialist. It's like, man, we need some Tulsa content. Can we do a specialist Mount Buckmore? So, but in the meantime, until we decide to do that, we are folding every bit of Ted Ginn Jr.'s Ginness into this. And Here's the thing. I, I said it on the I've said it a million times because Ted Ginn Jr. just re- retired and we talked about it. in my time doing this. It's Ted Ginn Jr. and Braxton Miller who made you feel a certain way and made you say to yourself, I've never seen anybody do that. And Braxton Miller was not like a slam dunk on our quarterback, Mount Rushmore. Right. I mean, like, I think right. there are very similar comparisons, but I think that is primarily a result of the receiver group is not quite as strong at the top as the quarterback group was. Right. So that like, to me, it's like, well, you've got to put on Rex Kern, but I don't, there's not like a receiver from the super softs who rises to that level. And there's, there's not a receiver who's won the Heisman for Ohio state. Right. So there's no Troy Smith quite at receiver. So I think Braxton and and Ted Ginn jr. Have very similar cases. Cause like, you put the spin move for Braxton is part of his Braxton-ness, but that was when he was at receiver. It's just that the competition is tougher at quarterback. And so I also put in Ted Ginn Jr. without much hesitation, but he was not my number one. He was my number two. And there is a statistical component of this, although one of my favorite things, and I corresponded with the texter who was texting about Craig Krenzel and the quarterback Mount Rushmore, and one of my favorite things that he said, and to paraphrase is, I know I, I know about stats, but they're but. And he said like the A word. He said like basically to, to break it down, he basically said stats are but. 
And I was like, well, I mean, that's I, I hear what you're saying. So the stats are but idea of this, like Ted Ginn Jr. is nowhere near statistically. He is the 11th highest Ohio State uh, on the Ohio State list of receiving yards. He's 11th. He's behind Devere Posey. He's behind D. Miller. He's behind, you know, guys that I didn't even give people a chance to vote for. But Nathan, like it feels like you very quickly dispensed with that. I very quickly dispensed with that. And as I wrote when he retired, the case for Ted Ginn Jr. is not statistical. The case for the case for Ken Ted Ginn Jr. is highlights that you watch and remember and the feeling that he gave you when he had the football in his hands. Yeah, I, I understand it's the receiver Mount Buckmore, but it's, it, there is a point at which you're just talking best, most exciting, most influential, most impactful pound for pound football player. He, and Ted Ginn, I think, satisfies that regardless of what position he plays. I think you've got to you've got to recognize him here. And uh, it, it just just like I said, it, as soon as I saw him on the list, I was like, well, he's on here. And now I figure out the other three. So he's on for all of us and he's on for the texters. The texters have him second. And, and again, that doesn't surprise me. There's always going to be some recency bias. There's always going to be who did you see with your own eyeballs? And that's where, you know, Doug Donnelly and, and guys like that just have a tougher time. But I think Ted Ginn Jr. is going to stick on this mountain for a while because, because sometimes when your case is statistical, it's like when someone comes along and has better stats than you, it's like, well, they have better stats than you. But his case is not statistical. And so, like, let somebody come along and, like, look like Ted Ginn Jr. on the football field. That's harder to do. So I, I think he might, be, he might be up here for a long time, and we are united in putting Ted Ginn Jr. on this mountain. That's number one. When we come back, we'll get to two, three, and four on our Buckeye Talk about the Mount Buckmore of Ohio State receivers. If you want to be able to participate in stuff like this, cast your vote, do the survey, which again is kind of like homework. Man, you guys wait till you see. I I haven't decided how we're going to do the podcast for the defensive Mount Buckmore, because if we want to get done with Mount Buckmore before the season starts, I had it that we're going to do all the defensive Mount Buckmores in one pot. We're going to do defensive end linebacker and cornerback all in one pod. And then the last one's going to be coach before the season starts. But I don't know if we want to do that or not. Like if we like it, if we feel like we can work it in during the week into the season, we can break that up because we really would have to shorten the conversation on the defensive things. We're going to do them in one pod. So we'll discuss that. But if you guys want to vote on that, my point is the, the voting for the fourth spot for defensive end was like, it was like it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of votes and like one it came down to like one vote like it is unbelievable how close the fourth and fifth spot was for that um and so and now we're doing the cornerbacks then we'll do the linebacker soon and then we'll do the other stuff 614-350-3315 14 day free trial four bucks a month after that steven who is next on your he was the, the 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 one that was strongest for you even if nobody was exactly 100% obvious. I think Chris Carter is the strongest for me because I mean he's got two really impressive years as an Ohio State player. I think he was on their all-century team when they came out with that a while back. But then also, he's a Hall of Famer in the NFL level. So he he took what he did at the – he has a he, – he's the only one on, on this list who has it on both fronts. 
There are guys who have it on the Ohio State front, and there are guys who have it on the NFL front. He's the only one with both as a Hall of Fame NFL player, but then also one of the best wide receivers in that college football has ever seen. And that's why he's number one for me. He's got the stats, he's got the impact, but then he's got it's translated to the next level. He was also number one for me. He was the one that I said, it's got to be him. And mm-hmm. part of the discussion with him, as we know, is we're talking another guy with a lost season that he got, he got suspended and lost the 1987 season. And he's still fourth all time. He has 2,725 receiving yards. David Boston is first with, first with 2,855. If Chris Carter had played his senior year, he'd be like a thousand yards ahead ahead of everybody. Yep. Like he would have that so far out there. You wouldn't be sure that, that anybody was going to catch him. And so when you take that into account, when you take into account, I think what he means to Ohio state fans, when you take into account the NFL stuff that certainly matters, when you take into account his media career, where he absolutely has like stood up for Ohio state football, very publicly uh, he, he has continued to be like a very visible part of football and representing Ohio state all along the way. And then like the stats just again, like in that era, that Earl era, when they weren't exactly tearing it up as a team every year, 1984, first year, 41 catches, 648, eight touchdowns, 1985, 58 catches, 950 yards, eight touchdowns, 1986, 69 catches, 1,127 yards, 11 touchdowns. Like it is, it is a really, really strong statistical case. And Nathan, he lost, like he lost what should have been his best year. He's third in career touchdown catches. And again, he, he'd be, if he had played in 1987, he'd be first in every stat. And so now we get back into the thing that we had with Maurice Claret and Keith Byers, Keith Byers is, well, what do you do with that? Because this was not injury related. This was agent related, you know, like. He sort of did it himself, but also it was, it's, what are you going to do? He's a, he's a young guy in a crazy world where agents are coming after you all the time. First of all, was Chris Carter on your mountain, Nathan? And then how do you think we consider all this in regards to him? Definitely on my mountain, number two on mine. And the part of it for me was, I mean, he jumped out as somebody who was probably definitely going to make the list. He was one that I def- I wanted to research a little bit more just to make sure I had um, my T's crossed and I's dotted on exactly how things went down. And that's that senior season. It depends on how much you want to go into how self-inflicted that was, because you're right that you're you've got bad influences all around you. People are trying to get to you, um, getting into the secret signing, secret, secretly signing with an agent and then having that come out and 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 spoiling his the end of his career. Uh, one of those things that again in modern times would not have happened. Like yep. he would have played his senior year. There would, if, if he was a senior in 2021, he would have played his senior. Like this would just not be an issue. So that pretty much, I, I didn't, I didn't think of it in nearly the same way as I looked at Claret, as I looked at um, Terrell Pryor, those sorts of things where I, I just, I, I, I almost dismissed it completely and, and thought of it almost in the sympathetic terms you're talking about that if, if he had just, if, if more common sense had prevailed at the time, then he would have, he would, I think stand up as clearly the greatest receiver in Ohio state history and probably does anyway. Right. Because I think when you look at it in that context and realize he was deprived of his greatest season, 
when he had already accomplished all these other things, he probably deserves that moniker anyway. People would just be asking him questions about, hey, what type of NIL deals has your agent gotten for you in the last couple of weeks here since yeah. you're now allowed to do it? Literally. Yeah, the same questions all these guys have been getting at camp. Yeah. So it's just nothing. It's it's nothing. And it's just such an indictment of, well, we, we won't need to get into that tangent, but he he should go on this mountain just as an, an indictment of, of NCAA incompetence and selfishness and whatever you want to put on it for generations. And that year, a receiver wins the Heisman Trophy. Tim Brown at Notre Dame wins the Heisman Trophy. And I don't know. Are we sure Tim Brown? Tim Brown, man, this blows you away. Gosh, this put that this this like almost makes me more heartbroken about it. Is this right? How is this right? I think Tim Brown, you're gonna have to look beyond just return guy. He's a return guy a lot. Some return stuff, yeah. He had three punt returns for touchdowns. As a receiver in 1987, he had 39 catches for 846 yards, and he won the Heisman. And Chris Carter, again, that's like Chris Carter as a junior crushes those stats. Now, again, you know, Chris Carter was, wasn't playing for national championship level teams, but also like if they had had Chris Carter in 1987, who knows what they would have done. He won the Heisman in 1987, 39 catches, 846, three receiving touchdowns. He scored four offensive touchdowns and three return touchdowns in 1987. In 1986, Chris Carter scored 11 touchdowns and he had 1,127 yards. Like, again, what are you going to do? Assume a Heisman season? No, but like that's... Who who are the other finalists that year? If you have That that was the weird year. That was the weird year. Gordy Lockbaum, like the Holy Cross, like figment okay. of the media's imagination. Yeah. Uh, finished third, I think, that year. And I lost it here for a second. But it was just like a weird. It was a weird year. And it was the Notre Dame kind of hype machine. And listen, Tim Brown went on to have a great NFL career. It's not like Tim, Tim Brown was a fraud as a player. Not at all. But like statistically, it just doesn't match up. I got to find the other thing. But it's just it was, I mean, it, it was 87, you said, right? Yeah. yeah 87. Just, it's like I'm, that Notre yeah. Dame team was eight and four. What but happened? Were, that's just because oh, I'm just thinking. I if was I'm eight, running, Doug. Yeah, and I was well. You know, it just seems like a very underwhelming group of finalists to begin with. Yeah, like the door would have been open for Chris Carter had he been able to play. Had the rules of the day not taken that senior year away from him, and again, it happened. He got suspended like months before the season, and they were like appealing the decision into September to see if he could play. Tim Brown won. Don McPherson, the Syracuse quarterback, was second. Gordy Lockbaum, the Holy Cross underdog story. Basically, Rudy in the flesh, but with better stats. Holy Cross, right? That wasn't Rick Tellender. Not Rick Tellender. Rick Riley, like, wrote a story about it. People were like, yeah, I'll vote for the guy from Holy Cross. They play football. God, could 1987 sports writers just stick their heads up their own butts any harder? Who's the best player in the country? Oh, this guy's name's Gordy. Plays at Holy Cross. They beat Worcester 21-16 last week. I read about... Could you be dumber? Seriously. Can we find someone who voted for Gordy? That's what college football's all about. (laughs) Seriously, that's college football 1987. Chris Carter is banned for taking money because he's so good. He didn't take money. He just signed an agent. I think he took some money, okay. but he signed with the agent. The agent gave, agent gave yeah. him some money, uh, but he's just 
he's preparing for a pro career because he's so good. And everybody's like, you know, you know, the heck with the Chris Carters of the world. You know what college football is really, really about? Gordy Lockbaum. Are you kidding me? It's like Rocky Lombardi from Michigan State, their quarterback last year. Lorenzo White, Michigan State running back, was fourth that year in the Heisman. Ironhead Hayward was fifth. Chris Spielman was sixth from Ohio State. So, like, Chris Spielman as a linebacker finished sixth got there. Ohio State. <laughs> what do you think might have happened with Ohio State's best receiver had, like, 1,400 receiving yards? And people were like, I'm thinking of voting for Tim Brown. And you said, well, this guy from Ohio State has twice as many receiving yards as he does. Do you want to vote for that guy? Oh, my God. I didn't know a Gordy Lockbound rant was coming. God, seriously, Nathan, come on. This, and this I'm voting sh- is yeah, this voting is bizarre. So Chris Spielman did finish like seventh. Uh, an Oklahoma State running back named Thurman Thomas, who runs for sixteen hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns, only finishes seventh in an era when running backs dominated. Always winning award. it. Uh, and then number nine, um, a, a a Florida freshman running back named Emmett Smith. So there were some guys coming. Um, well, actually, but mostly it was seniors. It was it was eight seniors and then Emmett Smith finishing ninth. <laughs> so it's running back named Emmett Smith. Never heard of but him. That's, it's just, again, like the, another reason why, like, these guys need to be on a mountain to, like, remind us of how stupid people were uh, around the NCAA sports in the 80s. Seriously. I think that's what sports statues should be from now on in college. They should be a, a consistent reminder of how stupid we used to be. I would I would read that plaque a consistent. <laughs> also, Buckeye talk, a consistent <laughs> reminder of how stupid we used to be. Oh, uh, Emmett Smith. You know what they say about Emmett Smith? He's no Gordy Lockbaum. Give me a break. All right. So so we all have Chris Carter and Chris Carter was number one for the texters. He's the guy who was far and away. Two point eight one. Tedkin Jr. Four point one. The number three guy. Four point nine. So. I think if you, if anybody wants to argue, I think Carter's inarguable because he's got it statistically and he's got the greatness and he's got the NFL. He's got it all. The Ginn thing, it's like you have to get past the stats. So you have to sort of argue past the stats, but I think you can do that very quickly and very convincingly. But that if you really have somebody who's like, I'm not putting a guy who's 11th all time in receiving yards in my top four receivers, I'm just not doing it. You know, that is a fact. But I think they are they are the top two that I am the strongest about. And now we start getting in to some stuff. And so, Nathan, actually, no, I'm going to go. I think this guy is a no-brainer, but he did not make the Texters top four. He was seventh for the Texters. And I think when you compare him to everybody else, I feel like the argument you make for him is so strong that yes, he, I think he emerges from the pack, but I think he clearly emerges from the pack and it's Michael Jenkins. Yep. That's next for me. Holy Buckeye. He was their leading receiver for three straight years. He was the leading receiver on a national championship team. And statistically, I think he's third all time in receiving yards at Ohio state. So he, he, he third, he made arguably the most important catch in Ohio state football history. He was, he had twice as many receiving yards for the 2002 national championship team as anybody on that team. He was the whole passing offense and statistically he's third. So like he's in the top four, if you just go by stats first, first and receiving yards, he's first. 
First in yards career-wise, uh, fourth in receptions. He's first in total yards for his career. Not on the thing I'm looking at. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at college football reference. Same. I have, okay. Well, I'm not looking. I was looking at Ohio State. I'm looking at Michael Jenkins, David Boston, Gary Williams. Okay. Well, well either way, the point is. is <laughs> okay. So, but regardless, the thing point. I'm looking at is, yeah. is not counting something. Regardless, 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 to your point, it's an even stronger case. So even stronger. Okay. Yeah. He's first. Like, like, I think it's like inarguable, Stephen. Like, I, I mm-hmm. like all those things. I don't know what else you would want. And he's not that long ago. And he's a great dude. He's in the book. He's a great dude. So, and he went on and he was a first round draft pick in the NFL. It's not like he was like a college only guy. He went on and had a good NFL career as a first round pick. Stephen, I, I, I had him third, but I really did not debate it much. And I was surprised he was only seventh for the Texters. You were, sounds like you were equally as strong on him. He's on, because I think when we watch, um, 2002. I think we watched a game with him. I think it was 2002 game, or I think I can't remember. But we all came to this conclusion of what if this guy was playing right now? I mean, he was putting up these impressive numbers, and they didn't have the quarterback play. They weren't really passing the ball the way they you know they do now. Imagine if he was playing today, what his numbers would be. And he's just a physical freak. Where I, there's a guy in every in every position group where you go, that's just the best pound for pound football player. For quarterback, it was Justin Fields. For a running back, it's probably Eddie George. Michael Jenkins is probably just a pound for pound the best wide, re- the best football player among the wide receivers who have come into this, come through this program, and that matters. Like, re- like big physical, like he's like a like a true number one receiver, kind of like in in every way that you would want him. And I know I corresponded with at least a few people on text who were like, man, I, I didn't even hesitate about Michael Jenkins. So there, there are at least a few people who also felt that way, even though, again, he, he did not, he did not finish in the top four of the voting for the texters. Nathan, did you have Michael Jenkins? I did not, not because I didn't think he was worthy. Um, I got into a voting thing where I thought there were three guys I liked a lot too. We've already talked about one that will come up and then I'm judging him based and judging him against two other guys. And I think some of this is when, when you're trying to, to grab for that X factor, sometimes you have blind spots in, in your, in your time that you in, in just in, in, over the course of, of a team's history. And there, there were guys that I kept getting pulled to, who were more, who were maybe a little bit earlier than him, who I identify more with Ohio State than I do Michael Jenkins, who, if that makes any sense, because it's just a time where I was, I think there was just a blind spot where I wasn't aware of Ohio State as much as I was before and after that because of whatever was going on in my life. So there's some other guys who I think you can make a good case for who I just think of as like, oh yeah, Ohio State, like that, that means something to me. And it, Michael Jenkins didn't quite resonate in the same way, but all the things you're talking about, I mean, the Holy Buckeye, the BCS uh, championship catch, like all those things, um, I think definitely warrant a place on the list. He just wasn't one of the guy I gave my fourth place vote to. And I think, I think that's probably right that he doesn't, because I think I know two, two of the guys you're talking about who just sort of pop more. 
but neither of those guys was as consistent as Jenkins. Neither of those guys played for a national championship team. And neither of those guys has a holy Buckeye catch. And, and I don't know that those, and those guys were not, I think they might've been drafted higher than Michael Jenkins. I don't know that I had a better NFL career than Michael Jenkins. Right. I think he, if we did a buck, a Buckeye talk, that was like the slip through the crack Buckeyes, right? The guys who are for whatever reason are underrated based on their actual contribution to high state football. He might be first. Like this guy was a baller. He was a three-star recruit. Again, I could read you the chapter. I'm not going to do the whole chapter, but it's like, he's a three-star recruit. He's a do everything guy in high school out of Florida. And Jim Tressel takes over after Michael Jenkins is a freshman. And it's one of those things like, you know, a new coach takes over and everybody's like, ah, you know, some of these guys are going to leave. I don't know about this guy. There'd been some people in the building who, who had said to Tressel, like, I don't know about this guy. And like Tressel, like went out to his first practice as the head coach and he's walking in with the quarterbacks coach, Joe Daniels, the new quarterbacks coach on the staff after, after this first practice. And they're both like, who is that Jenkins guy? Why are people saying they're not sure he's going to make it? And then Michael Jenkins goes on to like be the leading receiver for Jim Trestle's first three years. So like he is. And again, Steven, you're right. I, I was looking at a list that was a little, a little jacked up for whatever reason. Jenkins one, Boston two, Gary Williams three, Chris Carter four, Devin Smith five, KJ Hill six, Santonio Holmes seven, Doug Donnelly eight, D Miller nine, Ted Ginn Jr. ten, Joey Galloway eleven. Those are the eleven yeah, leading right. receivers in Ohio State history. I'm now reading that off Ohio State's website instead of an outside website. Football reference for college football is iffy. Sometimes they don't always, yeah. with the career stuff. They don't always keep up with it as well as they do with like basketball. So. Um, but he's seventh. Steven, why do you think it's to your point, Nathan? I mean, it's just like he, maybe this doesn't pop the, the, the mind the same way. He, I, I was surprised, Steven, that he was seventh for our texters. I was very surprised by that. Wh- wh- why, how would you try to explain it? I think, and maybe this is thinking too deep into it. He can be one of those guys where you forget how good he was because he wasn't necessarily the face of whatever teams he was on. And there are actually, I mean, the wide, that's the wide receiver. You're a victim of that a lot of the times when you play at Ohio State because they just started passing the ball last Tuesday. Uh, Ted Ginn and Santonio Holmes, which we'll probably have a discussion about, are probably the first two modern-day wide receivers where they're the first thing you start thinking about after the quarterback. Even So because of that, you think about them more, you remember more of their history. While with Michael Jenkins, it's – Chris Gamble, it's Maurice Claret, it's all these other guys you think of first because wide receiver hasn't always been a prominent position here until re- recently. And maybe that plays a little bit about into the – you don't realize how good this guy was. You need to go back and look at his stats and go look at some film. This guy was ridiculous. Uh, I actually – actually, uh, I disagree with part of that because I do think there's – there's at least two guys in the 90s who I think popped to mind immediately. And, right, and but then he, they didn't have, like, you know, it, it maybe maybe Boston's the exception of that, where he also played with some talented guys elsewhere. But, yeah, for the most part, that's usually the case here. And it's weird. I do think Jenkins, I think, is sort of in, as we think about it historically, is a little bit hurt by association in the idea of, you don't when you think of Jim Trestle football, you think of like running the ball, mm-hmm. special teams and defense. You think of throwing the ball last. But like if they were going to throw it, like if they were going to throw it, he's who they threw it to. Yep. Like it's not like he put up 
he didn't lead Ohio State with like 450 receiving yards in a year. Like he put up real stats for like a, a, a national championship team. 2002, he has 1,076 receiving yards on 61 catches. And he goes over 800 both the year before and the next year for them. So I think it is a, and I, I'm not, we're not, well, I guess we are trying to persuade people. I'll ask, I'll ask you, Nathan. Nathan, as we talk this out, are you coming around at all on, you know what? I actually think maybe Michael Jenkins really should be in the top four because I think this is less a case of recency bias or like people not remembering him and that like right away in the moment with Michael Jenkins, people misidentified how good he was instantaneously. It's not that they've forgotten how good he was. It's that I think they never realized it fully to begin with. And so 20 years later, I think he's suffering from that a little bit here. I think you're probably right. I think it was just a a time in Ohio State history where that's a position that wasn't going to get showcased. And I think that um, those the, the fun guys to have these conversations about, I think, because I think you're what you're talking about. There are a lot of people listening to this podcast who are probably saying, you know, man, I just never really saw that. I mean, I watched all those games and he was good. Like, and then there's other people who are like, man, you're speaking my language. Like all this could be coming straight out of my mouth. And that that's because they're, when you, when you feel like you realize it in the moment and nobody else does, it's kind of a, a special thing. And you, you can kind of build a special relationship with those guys. I, would, yes, I, would like- I think I, I agree that I'm, I, I would say, I'm not going to move him up to fourth because I want to stay true. We can have the the truth, yeah. the conversation about the guys I pick. But I think um, certainly I sh- maybe should have. So, by the way, one last thing on 2002. I mean, this will blow your mind. <laughs> 2002, again, 2002, they win the national championship for the first time in either 32 or 34 years. Michael Jenkins has 1,076 receiving yards. Their number two leading receiver is a guy they had to take from cornerback and have him yeah. play receiver because they didn't have anybody else. Chris Gamble has 499 receiving yards. Amazing. Chris Gamble, amazing. Third, Chris Vance with 178 receiving yards. Their leading pass catchers for most yards gained through the air are Michael Jenkins, 1,076, Chris Gamble, 499. Nobody else has more than 200. Michael Jenkins is the entire passing offense, except for the guy who's like, oh, yeah, you're really good at defense. Do you want to try to catch it? He has half of the touchdown receptions. (laughs) If they they don't have Michael Jenkins that year, they would have handed off to Maurice Claret 50 times a game. He he single-handedly was their passing offense for a team that went 14 and 0 and beat Miami. Like it's unbelievable how important he was to them. And then again, and then he's a first round pick. It is not sometimes it's like your team has a fault. So it's like, well, someone's got to be the leading receiver, right? That's not what this was. This guy was a legit player all the way around. And I had no doubt about him. So Steven and I have a top three with Carter, Ginn and Jenkins. The Texers didn't have Jenkins. Nathan did have Jenkins. Nathan, who is your third strongest member of your mountain? 
So this is another one that I guess you could maybe include him in a KJ Hill like argument. Uh, his name has already come up, but I think it's stronger because of the extent of the impact. And that was David Boston. Well, the thing that jumps out to me is 34 touchdowns in 37 games. I, I saw a number somewhere. It might've been on his Wikipedia page. That he averaged like five point something points per game for his career, which is, so if you're averaging a touchdown per game as a receiver at Ohio state in that era, you were doing something right. Um, and, you know, catching the Rose bowl winning touchdown when he graduated, he's the all-time leader, I think in receptions and yards, like it just, he, and I know part of this is one of those things where we've entered a transitional era where now receivers are going to be thought of differently at Ohio state than they ever have been. But he kind of stood up to me as an example of um, not, not quite to the Chris Carter level, but somebody who did things the right way and, and had a complete career and had and maybe an, even in a way that you're talking about with Jenkins to some extent, although I think he probably got his due more just because he got to those statistical milestones that some of these other guys did not. David Boston's 1998 season is bananas. Um, it is as good of a receiving season as, as you will ever see at Ohio state. It is the record for most yards in a season, 1,435 at Ohio state. It was the record for most catches in a season with 85 before Paris Campbell broke that again, talking about like the difference in, in stats, he had, um, I think 14 receiving touchdowns that year. He had 13 receiving touchdowns in 1998. Nobody else for Ohio State had more than four. So, like, he, again, now D. Miller, uh, really good receiver that year, also had 900 receiving yards. That's just a good team. That's like Joe Germain doing Joe Germain things. That is a good offense. That's David Boston, 1435, D. Miller, 915, and then nobody else more than 300 yards. So that's legit. That's a great pairing. But Boston is the guy. And, again, I think special physical gifts. The unbelievable last year. But he also had almost 1,000 receiving yards the year before that. Second all-time in Ohio State history to Michael Jenkins in total receiving yards. He's my fourth guy. It's, it's tougher. I think it's closer. I, I have Jenkins kind of significantly ahead of Boston. But again, he's playing for those great Cooper teams of the late 90s that like should have won a national championship. So Michael Jenkins, you know, did win a national championship, was an absolute crucial component of a national championship team in 2002. But if Ohio State doesn't lose to Michigan State 28-24 in 1998, David Boston would be the same thing. Like he was an absolute stud for an unbelievable team that just like didn't get it done. They suffered probably the greatest upset loss. Well, probably next to 1969, Michigan greatest upset loss in Ohio state history that really mattered, right. That just absolutely blew probably the best team in the country out of the water. So that's not David Boston's fault. So, so he emerges from the pack for me as my last guy on Mount Bookmore. Steven, where are you on David Boston? I think the interesting thing with David Boston is they actually did throw the ball. It's not like, with the oh, Michael Jenkins, sure. it's not like with the Jenkins case where it's just like him. And then what are we going to do? It's, you know, D Miller 
the, the nineteen ninety eight year, Dee Miller had nineteen nine hundred and fifteen fifteen yards, and then the year before that, he had nine hundred and eighty one yards. So they they actually were whipping it around that year. He was fourth for me as well, but he's like four A right for me right now because I I, I want to see once we get into a discussion about another guy that's maybe going to tip me over the top for one of the two because to the point I was making earlier, we, where you have some guys who are awesome at Ohio State, but then that was it, and then there are guys who were okay at Ohio State, but then awesome at the next level. There's a guy who's kind of the polar opposite of what David Boston is. And I want to see how we all think about him before I decide which one of those two guys gets my four spot for now, since I have to play by the rules. So we all have David Boston and the Texters have David Boston. The Texters had David Boston third. So the Texters go Chris Carter, Ted Ginn Jr., David Boston. So there is agreement here uh, on David Boston. And that finished off the Mount Buckmore uh, for me, and it finished it off for Steven with the same four guys, Chris Carter, Ted Ginn Jr., Michael Jenkins, David Boston. And I think, Steven, we would both have them in that order, right? We both would yeah. have Car- Carter first, Ginn second, Jenkins third, Boston fourth. For sure. When we, when we come back, we will do who is the fourth for Nathan Baird, who was the fourth for the Texters, and then we'll discuss what it might take to knock off that number four next on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315 for the text. Nathan, who's your fourth guy? So I really struggled with who to pick for fourth. Uh, I, I I went like uh, a thousand different ways. And I ultimately decided, I know that his Ohio State career is not what's going to end up defining him. I, I chose Michael Thomas. That, that was the- 4B for me. So thank you, Nathan, for putting them on. So now we can have a discussion. So Michael Thomas is... 21st all time in receiving yards. I remember, I can remember this very vividly, except I can't remember when it was or actually what happened. Maybe it was a dream. I texted the texters on uh, Thursday that I had a dream on Thursday, uh, Wednesday night that PJ Fleck got fired by Minnesota like a couple days before the opener and we were just mad that it screwed up our previous stories. It was like, I remember like being in my dream. I was like, well, can I use PJ Fleck quotes in this story if he's fired? God, this is such a pain. Um, Have you seen the Texas responses to that yet? I, there were definitely a couple responses that were like, this is not what I'm paying for. Why are you sending this? And then there were a couple people that were like, ah, a little, little weird thing in the middle of my day. I don't know how to answer why are you sending this? This is not what I'm paying for. I, agree, perfect I agree. One. <laughs> the perfect one was because you sent it not long after Nathan and I texted about practice now. From the 440-440, Nathan equals quality content. Steven equals quality content. Doug equals personal dream content. Something doesn't fit here. <laughs> and I wanted to I wanted to respond and be like, yeah, you're right. Nathan, Nathan and I shouldn't be talking about football. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's just we'll just have a separate dream tech subscription. Every morning we wake up and we'll make it cheap, like 50 cents a month. We wake up every morning and just text you what we dreamt about. And that's it. Although, Nathan, I did think to myself, what is your weirdest football dream is a podcast is an offseason podcast. I'm I'm writing that down because, as I've said, when the season starts getting closer, I start dreaming about Ohio State football. Yeah, but we're going to have to all like keep a dream journal now. We're going to have to like keep a little notebook by the side of our or on our nightstand or whatever so that we can remember what we're supposed to talk about when that comes up. 
But see, if you just text it to the subscribers, the text subscription becomes your dream journal. And then you don't have to remember it. So, I'd rather so we should just now when we wake up from a in, a in a cold sweat in the middle of the night about PJ Fleck getting fired, we should just text it right then rather than take the rather yes. than yeah. rather than risk not remembering it later. It's, hey, I know it's late, but because <laughs> if you yeah, if you think <laughs> if you think some people reacted uh, poorly to that text today, imagine if they had been woken up by it at 4 a.m. I can't help it. I dream about football. Uh, the, uh uh, okay, so Michael Thomas. So Michael Thomas is 21st. And the thing that I was starting to say that I couldn't remember that I remember, like I just remember walking with him. I th- It might have been after pro day and just like talking about how like they didn't throw it to you enough. And you know that, right? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, but you never complained about it, did you? And he's like, well, no, I never really complained about it. But you oh, could have put up much larger stats, right? Well, I know I could have put up much larger. And it's like, I mean, it was it was so obvious to us. Because when they did throw it to him, it's like every now and then they'd throw him like an eight yard slant and he would just like bust the safeties like they were statues and run 50 yards. And you were like, I think that is probably there more than twice a season if they would actually do it. And so that was always the thing of like, I know when Zeke was so mad, you know, in 2015 about they didn't give him the ball enough in the Michigan State game. It's like they haven't thrown the ball enough to Michael Thomas all year. Like all the times it's like, no offense, but it's like all the times they're trying desperately to like find a way to get Braxton Miller the ball. And I was like, could you just throw it to the best receiver in college football who is standing right there? And he's going to have like 700 receiving yards this year. So, so Nathan, you put him on the mountain. Steven, you considered putting him on the mountain. I never really did because yes, like he, practically became the best receiver in the NFL, like almost as soon as he got to the NFL. But, but again, not landing entirely on statistics. His stats aren't as good as Gins, right? His contribute. He had like the weird year thing in the middle of his career where he registered for a year. Like it took him a while to sort of figure it out. And he, to me, he is like the ultimate. I know he's having a fight with the saints right now, but I always thought at Ohio state, he behaved like he was never a diva. And I thought he was the definition of like a professional receiver. And so he ran great routes. He has great, great, strong hands. He has great body control. He takes care of business, but he's not going to guy who's, he's not a guy who's going to run by you and catch an 80 yard bomb. You know, he's not a guy who's going to drop six spin moves on you. He had the great, unbelievable catch from Evan Spencer right before halftime in the Alabama game. One of the great catches in Ohio state history. I mean, like that kind of thing, Michael Thomas's highlights are like getting his foot down kind of stuff. Right. And so I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying like, if the case that isn't there statistically with what he did at Ohio state, yes, the national championship is there. He's one of the best players in the national championship team, but he's not quite magical to me. He's professional. And if your stats aren't there and you're trying to show me something else to get you over the top, the NFL stuff matters, but I need a little more magic. And he, he wasn't, he was just like doing his job to me. So like I did really, I really did not consider him in the top four. How, how much was the NFL stuff important for you, Nathan? How much is it the catch against Bama? How much is it? It's not his fault. They didn't throw it to him. What's the, what was the case in your mind in the end? I think all those things are a factor. I think if he were just good in the NFL, that would be one thing. For instance, I think uh, at one point he might still be Joey Galloway is like the all-time NFL leader in receptions and yards for somebody who never made a Pro Bowl. Like there, there are ways that you can like spin NFL success and have that 
Trump. And we've talked about how, like, the more J.K. Dobbins does in the NFL, maybe that increases his candidacy to stay on Mount Buckmore. I think when you are when you can maybe take a decade of NFL time and say this guy was the best at his position in the NFL, which you may someday be able to say about Michael Thomas and people would already make that argument, then I think that means something. And I also think I I thought of him as sort of a symbolic person to put on this mountain, at least temporarily, because like I said, we are changing how we think about Ohio State receivers that like that transition is happening and we're going to think about them at least as long as Ryan Day is the coach and probably forever more. Like we're going to think about Ohio State receivers differently, I believe. So he kind of symbolically goes on the mountain as a, I mean, he did play for Trestle, but he'd be like kind of a Trestle ball thing. Or I guess maybe he did play for Trestle, uh, right? No, he's he's urban. He's well, all urban. No, he wasn't recruited by urban. So it was, so. there was some crossover there, but like he, he, he can be every, Every other great or potentially great receiver who people thought was wasted in the Ohio State offense, he is symbolic of that. He's, I think, the last. Well, no, Terry McLaurin came along and was kind of wasted too, but we didn't realize that. You knew in the moment he was being wasted, and he's the last of that group of guys where you knew his talent was being wasted because of the way Ohio State did things, and that's that's part of his case. It's the almost what six, seven years in of his, to his NFL career, and he was the highest-paid wide receiver when he signed his extension and all that. But then also, his stats are decent when you know they could be two times better than what they are. Now, all that being said, all that being said, I, don't, I think everything we said about Michael Thomas is true. He was not the best receiver on the national championship team. Devin Smith was. Now, they're completely different. They are completely different. Devin Smith led that team in receiving yards, 931. Michael Thomas had 799. But Michael Thomas had 54 catches. Devin Smith had 33 because Devin Smith was the ultimate deep threat. Devin Smith is the best deep threat that I've seen in Ohio State. 33 catches, 931 yards, 28.2 yards per catch, 12 touchdowns. And scared the pants off you. Like Michael Thomas got it done down after down. Devin Smith scared you. And Devin Smith, right? I mean, whether it was JT or Cardale, I mean, we remember some of the Devin Smith catches. Devin Smith is one hand and stuff in the end zone. Devin Smith is killing people downfield. Like if you if you hesitate for half a second, Devin Smith is past you. And so then in 2015, Devin Smith goes. And in 2015, right? Okay. I mean, Michael Thomas is definitely the best receiver on the 2015 team. And again, it depends what you say on best. They're so different. It's hard to compare them. If someone, someone might be shouting at their phone right now no michael thomas is better than devin smith but it's at least an argument and they're at least co 2015 michael thomas clearly the best 781 receiving yards Jalen marshall second at 477 but in a jacked up year for the offense i almost think devin smith in his own way might have more of a case for this mountain than michael thomas does now nfl no of course not like nfl is is of course it's michael thomas devin smith's nfl career was was marginal uh, at best. But Devin Smith is fifth all time in receiving yards at Ohio State. Again, Michael Thomas is 21st. If we're talking about an era when they didn't throw the ball very much, well, Devin Smith played in the same era, had a bunch more receiving yards than Michael Thomas did. And Devin Smith had some magical stuff, man. That's a high jumper. That is a deep ball guy that plays the ball in the air unbelievably well. And so if I'm thinking about 
like a head-to-head battle between Devin Smith and Michael Thomas. And again, listen, I cover these guys every day. So I'm, I'm not trying to like say you're wrong, but like, as I, as I'm trying to think about this stuff, man, Devin Smith is special in his way. And Michael Thomas just took care of business. So I take them both, man. If I'm building a college football, if you're telling me how to pair receivers together, give me Devin Smith and Michael Thomas and I'll go win national championships year after year. They were an unbelievable pair, but it's part of why, like I didn't really consider Michael Thomas. And I will tell you this. I, I think Devin Smith is a little underrated in this stuff. Devin Smith finished ninth. Michael Thomas finished eighth in the texture voting. So are you surprised, Nathan? And listen, I do think probably we said you can take everything into account. I do think, Nathan, probably some of these Ohio State texters on the fans who watched it um, are taking into account the Ohio State career. Right. And they're just saying like, well, I know he's great now, but I'm really not voting on that. We're saying it's totally fine to take that into account. You clearly have. And that's absolutely a a very smart and reasonable thing to do. But I think they're not doing that as much. And that's why he's eight. I I totally understand that. I I don't really have qualms with looking at it that way, because it again, it is about the Ohio State. It's the Ohio State. So I understand that. Um, it, it, some of that is a semantic argument. Uh, it really kind of came down to me though. It's like, besides Michael Jenkins, I also thought about Galloway. I thought about Terry Glenn, um, and guys, it, it came down to me, like who is going to most endure as being an Ohio state receiver? I mean, he, in a way, Michael Thomas kind of helped put Ohio state receivers on the map. At the same time, the Ohio State receivers were doing that for themselves at Ohio State. He just didn't get to do it at Ohio State. He went off to New Orleans and did it at the same time that we've kind of had this like passing game renaissance. He was coming in just right at the front of, or leaving right at the front of that, obviously. Um, 2018 happens, and then things start to change statistically and just sort of the way that those that position is now thought of nationally as it relates to Ohio State. So I just think of him as being a, a, a uniquely transitional kind of guy and a guy that helps in in retrospect is going to kind of help define Ohio State receiving, even if that wasn't what he was really like leading with at, at, while he was at Ohio State. I think he and Terry McLaurin allow Ohio State to recruit wide receivers the way they are, because you can go in there and look and go, look, these guys barely got the ball. And yet Michael Thomas ended up being the highest rate, highest paid wide receiver in the league. And look at Terry McLaurin turned out to be, even though he was, they both of those guys weren't first rounders. You can be more than that because you might be more talented than both of those guys. So come into this room with three other top 100 receivers in your own class into a room that has 12 top 100 receivers. And maybe you only get the ball 30 times a year or 25 times a year, but then you go to the next level and you're ready to be a number one receiver, even if you were never that at the college level. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with it. I agree with it all. I just think, um, again, and to me, the dispute was with, and I don't want to say like, to, uh, in terms of contributions, like to Ohio State, Nathan, I would say like Michael Jenkins, like smashes Michael Thomas, in, in my opinion, that if that's, you know, if Jenkins is the guy that you left off for Thomas, I just think that the Jenkins case is really strong. I, I would have, like, I was say I was deciding between like David Boston, Joey Galloway, Terry Glenn, Devin Smith, Michael Thomas for that last spot. And I went Boston sort of based on the stats as much as anything else. Uh, Joey Galloway, like really good. 946 yards as a junior, 669 as a senior. 
not quite as through the roof though as some guys. That's like early nineties, and then Terry Glenn comes in right on top of him. And while Joey Galloway is here, Terry Glenn doesn't do do much. And then in '95, Terry Glenn has fourteen hundred receiving yards, but Terry Glenn like never had more than two hundred in any, any other year. So he doesn't have the consistency. I'm a little surprised by some of the voting. Joey Galloway is fourth for the Texters. Terry Glenn is fifth for the Texters. Santonio Holmes is sixth, and people love Santonio Holmes, and that dude is legit. Santonio Holmes and Michael Thomas are a lot alike. Santonio Holmes and Michael Thomas, I think, are, are again, professional is the first word that I think of them. Just like, like way more than reliable, but also not exactly like a magical deep threat. Just like taking care of business and will absolutely destroy you play after play if you don't stop them. But also could have been even better if they had been in offenses that had used them even more. Santonio San Holmes, and then NFL greatness. High pick, Holmes late first round, Thomas middle second round. Santonio San Holmes is Super Bowl MVP. Michael Thomas is the highest paid guy. Really more famous in the NFL than they are in college, although they were great college players. And I know a lot of people love Santonio San Holmes. Santonio San Holmes, six, Michael Jenkins, seven, Michael Thomas, eight, Devin Smith, nine. Terry Glenn is kind of a one-year, he's not, not kind of, he's a one-year wonder, great year, but a one-year wonder. And by the way, the running back won the Heisman that year. Like he wasn't the main part of the offense, right? It's a great offense, but that's Eddie George's year. It's not really Terry Glenn's year. Joey Galloway, really consistent, really good, but not maybe spectacular over the top compared to some of these other guys. So I'm surprised, at least I think like Thomas makes an interesting case. Devin Smith makes an interesting case. Jenkins makes an interesting case, but I think Nathan there for that era of Ohio state fans, I do think in their own way, like Ohio state wasn't winning national championships, but in the nineties, when you thought of Ohio state football, I mean, Eddie George was Eddie George, but like Joey Galloway, Terry Glenn and David Boston kind of jumped to mind. I think you were sort of talking about, there was a group of those guys. And those were the three guys. I assume that you were talking about those mid nineties dudes were like kind of everybody knew the best receiver at Ohio state. Yeah, it, that was almost what pushed Galloway up. And I think it was one of the things that as I went back and looked, because of where my blind spots were, or maybe where my focus had been at different times in my life, I was probably thinking him farther up my list than he belonged. But I also think that there was just, I mean, Galloway on his, there were merits there. Like, and Galloway could stand on his own merits as far as just being like an exciting big play receiver for multiple years at Ohio State. I think that, you know, you could make that a pretty strong case, I think, on his behalf. And as obviously our textures agreed by based on where they voted him. I feel like he just stood up as like a like capital P playmaker, right? Like a guy that just went out and got stuff done on the field. So uh, and, and Glenn, I thought, too, I, there was a part of me that thought about, you know, a guy who comes on as a walk on. And, yeah, yeah, he only had the one year. But like the story that that is that he built himself from that to where he got to. I think then, though, as we talked about, you then also have to factor in some of the things that happened later in his life and and, and tragically how that turned out and whether that decides whether he goes on there. I think it, it definitely is an impact. So all those guys, I think you could make a case for um, Galloway was the one that I almost had as my fourth guy, just because in my mind, it's it's not quite the it certain. No, I shouldn't even say quite like it's not at the extent of Ginn. Again, I think goes on a different level, but Galloway had some of that same electricity that I think has has maintained its potency. In the end, for me, right, Ted Ginn Jr.'s little magic, right? We all we all get what that means. Chris Carter is one of the greatest receivers in NFL history. 
And if he hadn't had his last year taken away, he'd had every, every Ohio state receiving record there is. And David Boston to me, he represents that group of the nineties that I wasn't going to put like two guys from that era on there. I wasn't going to put Glenn and Galloway and Boston. I was going to have to pick one. And I picked Boston over Galloway and Glenn. And then Thomas just falls a little bit short statistically. Um, would you guys, as Steven, as we talk this out, we wound up Ginn, Boston, and Carter are all four, mm-hmm. the three of us on the textures, all four. Jenkins got two votes. Thomas got one and Galloway got one. But again, I think, I think Holmes has a case. I think Smith has a case. I think Glenn has a case. Would you say that in the end, yeah, eight or nine deep and there is some uncertainty and then we'll move on quickly to the guy that might knock all this away? I like that we all have those three because – those are the only three that don't have like a, they all have some type of asterisk, but whether it's their fault or not, uh, but there was Michael Jenkins has no asterisk. Exactly. Honestly, well, no, his don't, asterisk. don't make that up. What's the asterisk? There's none. There's nothing that Michael Jenkins doesn't have. I mean, the, I mean, the texters clearly don't feel, feel that way. I know they they're wrong. I, about I, it. No, I know it's, it's an incorrect opinion. We don't have to, we don't have to pretend that like, just because someone has an opinion, it's valid. I think that's a misfire. But Doug, I, I, we, we spelled it out. He has everything. He has stats. Yeah. He has highlights. He won a national championship. And he was a first-round pick in the NFL and a really good player. And he's a great dude. He has everything. It's just our, It's just people view him wrong. So, uh, anyway, so, I just, so the point I, of, I'm just not he's letting the anyone... under He's the underrated one of the three obvious ones that probably should have been on this list for everybody, including the texters. While everybody else has – kind of these things that these huge arguments for, but also these huge arguments against them. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, uh, which, which the bottom line is this is, even though I guess it is stone. It's a mountain. Hey, it's not stone. stone. Is I don't it, know what it is. is it? It's not wood. Is rock stone. I guess we're getting off. Yeah. That's, we're getting a rock <laughs> that's one of my favorite things anyone has ever said on this podcast is rock stone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking that up. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh. <is rock> stone. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, sometimes like it's not, you, it's you, not stone. You'll catch. Oh, come on. You'll catch says, people like looking things up on their phone. Like I remember one time my wife, uh, she happened to bring up the browser on her phone and it, she had searched for what do shrimp do? And like we didn't have any context <laughs> for that. And I don't remember why she had typed it. But like this is this goes on that list for me. OK, never mind. These definitions are stupid. They're basically just saying rocks are smaller stones. So, yeah. yes, I think. Ro- yeah. Uh, Rockstone also great name, by the way. Um, That's a heck of a band name. So it is set in stone. I mean, it, it, it's set in stone, but there's room for somebody to get in here, right? Do we do we kind of agree on that? That whoever whoever you have fourth, you can see a case again. It's not it's not like everybody on this list is a Heisman Trophy winning national champion and first round draft pick, right? So Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are here right now. Chris Olave is has a chance, has an actual legitimate chance to finish his career as Ohio State's all-time leading receiver. And he's like 1,200 receiving yards this year. I would probably bet on it. Like, will he end? Will Chris Olave finish this season as Ohio State's all-time leading receiver? 
I, if the question is yes or no, I would say yes. He's beloved. I did a thing the other day about like, which jersey would you buy? Overwhelming. Chris Olave. Now, Garrett Wilson's Garrett, right? But, but Olave, by sticking around for this year, plus the fact that he put up some stats and made some memories in year one, he's going to have four years of it. Garrett's going to finish up his third year here and be gone. Nathan, it feels like Chris Olave is really positioned here because he is a spectacular receiver. He does it all. He has unbelievable highlights. He has like a great comeback story after what happened against Clemson and the comeback and do what he did last year in the playoff. The fact that he stuck around for this season when not many people expected that. And he's been part of like a very successful team that made the playoffs the last two years. And based on like the passing game that he is like the most important part of man, I, it, Chris Olave is going to be making a case. He, he, if he had left, if he had left Nathan, he would have definitely, I would have put him on this list. Recency bias would have come into play, but beyond recency bias, you could make some arguments for him already. Plus like he's getting the year that like, for instance, Chris Carter didn't get Chris Olave very well might end up on Mount Buckmore. I think he takes a little bit from like every category. I would I would argue pretty strongly that he, in my eyes, doesn't have that electricity, doesn't have the gin type thing. It, certainly, no one has it to gin's extent anyway. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that he electrifies in quite that same way. But the the steadiness, the the technician that he is, just kind of being a model of a receiver. Plus all those things you're talking about, like coming in underrated, like coming in, he gets to be the example of like the, the diamond in a rough that Ohio state finds sometimes and like maximizes their potential. He's got the Michigan moment, right? Like he's got like multiple Michigan moments. I think at this point, I guess he only played them twice, but like he's had Michigan moments that, that like endure in that rivalry just, and, and, and the Clemson thing too, I think it's going to be something that kind of helps define him. Like Justin Fields got a lot of the credit for that last year with the kind of game that he had and having to come back from being like broken in half. But Olave was obviously a big part of that narrative, too. And when he came back and, and had a, you know, uh, it just all those things. I think uh, if he has anything close to this kind of season he has, I think that fourth place is his. Does already. anybody does anybody have a better story uh, from a wide receiver standpoint than Chris Olave? Well, I mean, we have to be careful when we say stuff like this. As Nathan said, Terry I'm, Glenn, no, I'm, I'm, Terry I'm, Glenn I'm not was, saying it. I'm asking it. No, Terry Glenn was like a walk on from Columbus who then had a 1400 yard receiving thing at right State, so. no, yeah yeah and that, that that and that's to but at the same time it just it was gradual now he had a longer way to go to get to that point but it was a gradual uptick chris olave's story is this is basically ryan day went out to find a quarterback and ended up finding a wide receiver and he had this bright shining moment when you're young and then things kind of fell apart and he had to redeem himself and then he had he had to fall then he had to rise back up and now he's back again when quite frankly he doesn't have to be. So if he if if they win a national title this year, and this will be his third quarterback since he's been here, I don't know if any wide receiver has a better story than Chris Olave does, including Terry Gibb. I mean, you just have to be careful because, like, you're you're saying it declaratively. You we don't really know. I mean, Michael Thomas, like, redshirted in the middle of his career that like nobody could figure out like why is Michael Thomas redshirting in the middle of his career, and he came off the redshirt and had nine touchdown catches for a national champion. So it's like, yes, his story is very good. Also, the, the thing of finding him is legit. It also is like Chris Olave's recruiting rating was sort of based on like 
not playing and like transferring yeah. schools and kind of like a weird thing. He's not like a, he was a supremely talented high school player who was kind of falling through the cracks a little bit. And so that is really interesting. The idea of that he made a colossal mistake, right? I mean, you can't, he, he broke off the route. I, I, he probably shouldn't have, right? I don't know. Even if it's understandable, he made a mistake. Justin Fields did the right thing. Justin Fields made the right throw. He broke off the route and it led to a game ending interception instead of maybe a game winning touchdown. Uh, nobody's blaming him, but you can't pretend. I mean, it's not, he didn't trip, right? He broke off a route when the quarterback wasn't expecting him to do the idea that you make a mistake like that. And two, I think the credit of the Ohio state fan base, like nobody, I mean, everybody was on his side immediately, but it's also to Chris Olave's credit. You build up capital by doing everything right. Every minute of every day and every practice on and off the field. And so when you do something wrong and it crushes you, people are with you and people were with him. It is a great, the, the thing that is absolutely true about your story, Stephen, is somebody who had like, and listen, Eddie George, like couldn't hold on to the football and had, had whatever, three fumbles and got benched and then came back and won the Heisman the next year, whatever. So there are guys who have lows and then do come back, but that kind of low, and then to come back and play the same team in the playoff, play your butt off, be amazing and go to the national championship game and then come back. There are not a lot of guys, Stephen, who sort of get as low as he got, where he felt like, I think, that he – and you – who talked to Olave? I did. You talked – he probably yeah. felt like I lost us the game. Yeah. And then he came back and balled out, and now he's coming back for year two of balling out. That is rare. That is rare. And his response to that – and, again, you can speak to it because you talked to him before last year – I mean, is something that Ohio State fans are going to relate to and talk about forever. It's the, it's the fact that all of it paid, played out publicly. Like with the Michael Thomas stuff, it's like, man, why isn't he playing? You have to ask those questions. If you're not paying attention to it, you're not thinking that Michael Thomas isn't playing. And with Terry Glenn, it kind of came out of nowhere that a walk-on is playing. And as we've talked about in the past, a walk-on shouldn't have been in that position, but here he is. So let's, we're, we're here now. That was in front of millions of people watching around the around the world watching that that, that college football uh, playoff game, and so he had to live with that. And then a pandemic happened, and then the season got canceled. So now we're thinking maybe he never gets a chance to redeem himself. It's all these extra layers of it that all play out on this very public way for a guy who really isn't that public. He's actually a pretty quiet oh, kid. Right. So all of that is happening to him. I re- we all walked in that locker room and saw him sitting there on the bench crying on the bench crying after the game and everybody's consoling him. So the way it plays out is what adds to the story as well. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying declaratively it's the greatest story of any wide receiver. It's more a question just to say, given all the circumstances, I wonder where that would sit. And the thing statistically, and it's going to suck for all these guys, like the pandemic, when we start talking career stats and stuff, jacks everything up. He, as I said, he's like, what is he? He is... 16th all time in Ohio state receiving yards last nap last right now, if they had had a normal year last year, he'd easily be in the top 10. I mean, he, could, yeah. he had, a, he averaged a hundred yards receiving. He, he had like a, he had as many receiving yards as seven in seven games last year. as like Michael Thomas had in his last year at Ohio state in a full mm-hmm. season. So if he had had a full season, he'd have like another 600 yards receiving and he'd be like seventh right now going into another year. So, it, for him and for all these guys historically, and people, you know, in 50 years, people will forget to do it. You've got to take the can- pandemic into account because that ripped 500 receiving yards off his career total. 
I, I wrote a post um, a few months back about like, did Chris Olave like have the secretly have the greatest receiving season in Ohio state history. If you prorate his season over another seven games, it's the, the numbers are, are kind of uh, you can't really ignore them. I, I don't know if we have how much time we have left, but I think it's worth a conversation. Is there anything Garrett Wilson could do if he only plays one more year to leapfrog Chris Olave? Like what would a Garrett Wilson season have to be to push him into this conversation? If we assume he's only going to be here one more year and we assume Chris Olave stays healthy and plays all year. Chris would have had to leave for any of that. Or, to I mean, and you don't want possible. To, I think it's a Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle situation. Yeah, which you don't even want to talk about. Yeah, because like, like, but if if Chris and Garrett are both on the field, I don't think I don't think Garrett can finish ahead of Chris on a list like this because mm-hmm. Garrett will have played his entire career in Chris's shadow, mm-hmm. and Chris had that one year without Garrett, and then the one year without Garrett, he like showed up in the mission game and started killing people. Right, and then and then to Stevens' point, Chris has an arc that Garrett Garrett can't match. It was like, Oh, what's Garrett's story. It's like, he's a five-star and he showed up and started burning people. Doing the minute five he got here. Stuff. Yeah. It's like, which is yep. not fair, but it's like the story's not as good. Um, expectations so, matter. And when yeah. your expectations are already high, I mean, he did it in the spring game. So it's like, after that, it's like, all right, well, you're going to do that 14 times a year, 15 times a year. Cool. I, I mean, like you say, Garrett has 1,600 receiving yards this year and breaks Ohio State single season record, and Olave has 1,100 and is just like really good. Like, I still think Olave would be ahead of yeah. him in the Mount Buckmore conversation, you know? And right. that's like Garrett, like clearly being the number one receiver on the team this year. So I just think Garrett's in a tough spot for legacy, right? But he's got a little of the magic, right? He's got like the helicopter stuff. Like, we, we he might do some stuff we haven't seen before. So his case is going to have to be a magic case. And then 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the people who take over Buckeye talk for us can argue about whether Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson should both be in the top four, because I'll tell you what I remember when I was, you know, like who knows, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know how he gets past Olave. He has to like, sort of, could he shove somebody aside to be on there with Olave? Yeah. That's a question. Could he push aside David Boston? Well, but it's like you have to push aside mm. David Boston and Michael Jenkins or like or or if he's yeah. if he's magical and he takes the magical spot from Ted Ginn Jr. Because if Garrett puts up better stats and Garrett's a better pure receiver than Ted Ginn Jr. But sure. Garrett Garrett starts doing stuff that is like, well, I've never saw anyone do what Ted Ginn Jr. did, but I also never saw anyone do what Garrett Wilson did. And Garrett sort of was a better receiver. Maybe that's where he finds, but Garrett's not going to run four punts back this year. So, I mean, it's tough. Garrett's in a tough spot. I think what Garrett is, and I think you can pretty much say this about everybody in the wide receiver room right now, and then going forward, not named Chris Olave, obviously, is that I don't, they might be better than people that we're going to put on Mount Rushmore going forward, but I don't know if they'll be as memorable because one, there's just going to be a lot of them and they're going to take away from each other's shine the entire time. Like if Emeka Ibuka comes out and he's crazy, crazy good, or Julian or Jackson go crazy, they're probably not going to be the only wide receiver going crazy. Or if Emeka Ibuka comes out and does basically the exact same thing Garrett Wilson did at the right. it's That's like, a, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, get, neither it's, Garrett Wilson nor Emeka Ibuka is going to be on because they're just a good Ohio State receiver, and that's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's our Mount Buckmore for the receivers. That finishes up the offense. We're just not going to do like offensive tackle or it's Orlando um, pace. It's just a big, it's just a big head of him. 
Yeah, it's just he's the whole mountain. Yeah. It's just one guy. He's as big as a mountain. I think we should do tight ends. They're like the four greatest tight ends in Ohio State history who combined for like 50 career catches. Yeah. We'll have Kevin Wilson come on as a special yeah. guest and talk about just why. Just put Kevin Wilson up there with a quote of, we're going to throw the ball to the tight ends more. Again, it's like Ricky Dudley, John Frank. I don't know. I mean, it's like, um, but we're going to start going defense. So we're going to do at least three defense and a coach. We'll see how we parcel them out in the pod. I think it's a nice little change up, but we also have a season coming. So we don't want to forget about that. All right. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Again, the unanimous votes for our Ohio State receiver, Mount Buckmore, Chris Carter, Ted Ginn Jr., David Boston were unanimous. There were two votes for Michael Jenkins and one each for Michael Thomas and Joey Galloway. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Dog. <laughs>